don't feel like I'm cool enough for that music. A little shorter than our usual bumper video, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll get another one next week. But uh, I am excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to have the energy to preach. Uh, it's been a fun and eventful week and a fun and eventful night. And uh, we are glad to have everybody here to help out and be a part of what is going on. And we had another successful candy jam. I uh, just saw thousands of people there last night. And uh, some of you guys might be in, in candy comas for weeks. So, but that's a good thing. That's why we give the candy away. Um, my kid's not old enough to get all that candy yet. So I'll, I'll, I'll probably revisit that in a few years when he is old enough. Um, but... Uh, uh, this morning, we're going to start a new series. I do, before we get into it, I want to say, say thanks to Andrew for filling in the last couple of weeks. We had Lila two weeks, two and a half weeks ago, and he's been filling in and, and did a great uh, series on uh, loving your neighbor and loving God. And uh, Andrew did a great job with that. Also, uh, if you're interested, our sermons are online. If you want to stay up to date or, or you missed something I, that I said and you want to catch up with that, make sure you go to capstonehelena.com and uh, check out our, our sermons online. Um, uh, and, and, and stay up to date where we're at. Uh, the other thing is, I uh, kind of want to talk about, just for a second, where we're going. So I'm going to have this short series for a little while. And then, uh, I don't know if you guys feel the pressure yet, but the Christmas season is right around the corner. So some of y'all just, like, had that heart skip, skip a beat for a second. Me, I'm kind of like, let's wait till like, two weeks before, and then we're good. But you'll, you'll start thinking about Christmas. So then we are going to have a Christmas series that we'll do for the month of December. But we're going to be excited for that, what God's um, doing here. Um, so as we start getting into this new series, I'm going to take a minute to kind of unpack what we're going to do. And you, you kind of saw the video there. And um, we're going to look at um, things, phrases that, that the Bible doesn't say, that, that we think are in the Bible but actually aren't. In there. So when I started thinking about this, I, w- I was thinking of some examples of, of, of things that uh, I thought said something that it actually didn't say. Have you ever, have you ever maybe uh, listened to a song or tried to, tried to sing a song and you had the words all wrong and you sang it wrong? There's all kinds of songs like that. Or, or my favorite is like a movie. You ever, you ever quoted a movie and then you realize that you've been saying it wrong forever? So I started thinking about that and I, I thought about some, some movies that um, I've seen and and I, I didn't realize that some of these, some of these I'm doing all wrong. But um, uh, one of the examples I thought of is, has anybody ever seen the Field of Dreams? What's, what's the famous line from Field of Dreams? If, if you build it, they will come, right? The saying is actually, if you build it, who? He will come. So if you think about it, that makes sense. His dad's going to show up. If he, you know, if, maybe I just spoiled the movie for somebody. <laughs> But if you build it, he will come, not they will come. The other one, another one I thought of is, is you ever seen the Wizard of Oz? Any Wizard of Oz fans out there? So you ever seen the Wizard of Oz? What's the, what's the line from a, a Wizard of Oz? I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, Toto, right? That's the one that everybody quotes from the Wizard of Oz. You want, you want to know the funny thing? That specific line is not in the movie. The line is actually, Toto, I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. So we've been saying it wrong this whole time. Last but not least, one of my favorites, The Empire Strikes Back. Any Star Wars fans? I should have gave you all a heads up and told you to like, dress up in a Star Wars costume or something to come to church. I'm, I'm cool with that. Man, that's a, th- a, new, a new sermon series idea. But The Empire Strikes Back. What is the line from Star Wars that we all know? 
Darth Vader famously says, he says, you know, it's, it's that crazy part, they're fighting, and, 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 and you know, he's, it's, it's this major mat, uh, matchup that we've been waiting for, and, and the big reveal, Luke, I am your father. He doesn't even say it that way. He says, no, I am your father. He doesn't even say Luke. So we think we have it figured out, we have these sayings that, that, that we know how they go, but they're actually not in the movies that we've seen. Or they're not the way that we think they are. So all of us have probably been in that same boat. We sometimes hear something differently, and it's this weird cultural phenomenon that happens, and we start all quoting it wrong, and, and so we hear these things differently, and, 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 and we say them, and we kind of insert them into the movie in a different way, and, and even sometimes they have a different meaning than was intended, like, like Field of Dreams. It has a, even a different meaning than, than what they were going, kind of coming from our mishearing. In that, I think sometimes when we look at Scripture, we do the same thing. Sometimes when we're looking at God's Word, we hear something and then we kind of hear it wrong. Or somebody repeats it to us and it's a misquote. Uh, I started thinking about some of these this week. Uh, maybe you've heard some of these. Like, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Where's that in the Bible? We sometimes think that's in there, or, or when, when one door closes, one more opens. Another one, God moves in mysterious ways. Another one, spare the rod, spoil the child, or, or God won't give you more than you can handle. We're going to talk about some of these in the next few weeks, but we think all of these are found in Scripture. But here's the thing, they're not. These phrases that we think that, that we quickly jump and say, the Bible says, and this is, this is in there, if you go looking for them, now some of you guys are going to sit there and you're going to, this whole service, you're going to miss my, my sermon because you're going to be trying to find them maybe, but, but they're not there. None of these are directly in Scripture. That doesn't make them untrue, that doesn't make them bad, that doesn't make them, you know, something we shouldn't live by. But the point of the fact is that they're not there. They're not in Scripture. So you've kind of got the gist. This, this new series is the Bible doesn't say that. But to get more at the theme, kind of where we're headed, what we're going to uh, uh, do with this theme is that when we're looking at these phrases that aren't actually in the Bible, uh, what I want us to do is that when we're looking at them, I want us to know God's Word better. I want to drive us to a point where we want to know God's better to see how powerful the truth of Scripture actually is and to see the vibrancy that it holds for our lives. So instead of kind of missing a little bit, getting the quote wrong, I want to drive us to how awesome God's Word can be for our lives. So it's kind of a celebration of sorts. We're going to celebrate what God's Word really says. And to kind of get at the why, you might be like, why? Why do we, you know, those phrases are fine. Why should we do this? I think when we inaccurately summarize, when we, when we kind of get the quote wrong, when, when, we, when we misquote it or, or even insert kind of our own knowledge into Scripture, into the, to the Christian life, like catchphrases and, 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 and things like that, we, we, we can quickly miss the depth that is actually there. So when we kind of just give it to a Christian platitude and a saying like that, we might miss the truth and the depth that God is really pushing us towards. So while they might, some of these sayings are great on a surface level, but I want to push down and get to the depth 
of what they really mean. And when I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of a Reese's cup. Anybody like Reese's? Anybody have any leftover from last night? Like imagine if you ate a Reese's and all you ate was the chocolate on the outside, right? That's sillier. I love the peanut butter and the mix of chocolate and peanut butter. But the point that we're going to do with this series is we're going to, like with the Reese's, not only are we going to eat that chocolate on the outside, but we're going to get down into the peanut butter. So we're thinking of peanut butter all, all sermon. There's a few goals that I have from this series. I want us to dive into scripture, to dive into the riches, to seek God's wisdom for our lives, and, and, and kind of look at some of maybe these mistakes that, that we're making and some of these ideas. Uh, I, I want us to, to, ultimately, I want us to spend time in God's word. So I don't want you going home necessarily quoting me. I want you to go home and say, you know what, I, you know what we read in God's word today? You know what we looked at? And then I want you throughout the week to be looking at, at some of these things and, and really start chewing on them yourself. I want us to be hungry and excited for what God's word says. Um, I want us to see the wealth that, that God's word might have for our lives. And then I want us to apply what God's word says. So that's, that's kind of what uh, we're going to do with this series. The way that we're going to do this is, is we're going to take some of these quotes, some of them I read before, and we're going to take a look at the quote, and then we're going to, going to kind of walk our way through and hold it up to God's scripture and, and kind of put it to the test and then see exactly where God's scripture speaks on each one of these subjects. So this morning we're going to settle on, in on our first phrase. We're, we're going to get to our passage in just a minute, but perhaps you've heard the saying, God helps those who help themselves. Anyone ever heard that one before? God helps those who help themselves. So usually when we hear this saying, it's kind of a disparaging remark. Like maybe someone needs help and we'll be like, you know what? God helps those who help themselves. They're, they're good to go. They, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll get it figured out. So it's usually kind of in a negative connotation. And then it kind of gives this idea of self-sufficiency. Like, like these people will, will take care of themselves. And just like any of these statements that we've already kind of talked about a little bit, that's nowhere in scripture. So you can look look all day, maybe you can use the help of Google and try to find it. Look this one up or or not, you're not you're not going to find it in God's word specifically like that. And a little bit of background on the phrase. This phrase was actually popularized by Ben Franklin. He had a, 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 a writing that he had called uh, Poor Richard's Almanac. And so there's actually a lot of sayings that we have in society that, that Ben Franklin made popular. So this is one of those sayings that he made popular, and, and, and it kind of caught on in, in, in Ben Franklin's day, and then we've started communicating that to people all over the place. So we tell people, God helps those who help themselves. And so even though it's not a bad saying, this morning we're going to look again at Scripture and see what God actually says about the matter. So let's turn to Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 25. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. I'll give you just a moment to get there. We're going to read all the way through verse 34. But Matthew 6, 25 through 34. So starting in 25, this is Jesus speaking to a crowd, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store, store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So as we start to dig into this passage a little bit, kind of to summarize what we're going to get at this morning, the theme for this morning that we're going to look at when we're looking at this idea that God helps, them, or God help, helps those who help themselves What scripture really says is that God is our provision. We must seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Our theme for this morning is that God is our true provision and we must seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So let's dig in just a little bit. A little bit of the background from this passage. These again are are the words of Jesus. He's preaching his sermon on the mount. So he's got a a big crowd around him and and he's giving them these words. The sermon on the mount is kind of generally about the theme of how our heart directs true worship. How how our heart directs the way that, that we honor our Lord. At this particular point in the sermon, he's talking about treasures, the things that we truly desire in life, the things that we strive for every day, the things that that we really put our hope and the point of life for us. And from here, Jesus enters into this all-too-common subject. If we look at verse 25 again, we get a command from Jesus, an imperative. He says, therefore, I tell you, Do not worry. He's he's giving the listeners a command. Don't worry. So he's starting into this conversation about worry, and he's talking about provision, how to provide for yourself. And we're we're thinking about how we might survive from day day to day or or take care of our families. And and, and certainly the, the key word in this passage is worry. Maybe you've already counted them, but worry happens six times in this passage this morning. So, so the, the, the focus is worrying and thinking about how we might provide for ourselves. Has anyone ever worried before? Anybody had, a, had, had an issue with worry? You know, when I started thinking about worry, I, I was thinking about the fact that we just had Lila. And if you've ever ki- had kids, you've kind of gone through this, but you have your first kid and, 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 and you're like worried about everything, right? Like, like it keeps you up at night. You're 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 leaning over there and you're making sure they're breathing and like every little germ is horrible and you're like worried about germs. You're worried about them falling off the couch. You're you know you're worried about their car seat being buckled in right. And and I remember one time we had Grayson in the the back. Of, I was carrying him on my back in the the backpack carrier and and I think I walked past like some tree branches 
and uh, he was pretty little, and, and I kind of whacked him in the face with the tree branches. And, um, and Courtney started freaking out. She's like, she's like, Grayson's not moving. He's not moving. He, he was so little, he didn't move much anyways. He's not, he's not moving. And we, uh, it was scary. We got him off, and we were, like, checking him. And, 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 but everything, obviously, was all right. But with Lila, the second time around, and, and, it's, and you might be the same, man, it's a totally different ball game. We're not half as worried as we were with Grayson. I think you kind of learn, like, with the second one, or, 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 or if you have more kids, is, is kids are pretty resilient. Now we still carry about them, and, and we take care of them, and, and there's certain things that we still work, like, like it's a good thing to probably do the flu shot and different things like that. So we worry a little bit, but it totally changes the ball game. Instead of worrying about every little thing with your kid, now you're just kind of like, you let them go, and, and they'll survive, kind of. So that, that, when I start thinking about worry, there's, there's kind of that difference there. And that's what, what Jesus is getting at. He's getting at this subject of worry. For us, he uses two illustrations to kind of paint the picture, to get his point across. In verses 26 and 27, he uses the example of the birds. If you look at the passage again, in 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And then if we, if we look at this a little bit more, we can, we can get uh, more ab- about what he's saying. If we look at verse, uh, the, the following verses in, in 27 and 28, who of you by worrying could add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? And then he talks about the lilies. See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. So he, he talks about birds on one hand, and he says, you know, if, if birds could worry, if, they actually could, if, if birds could actually worry, they themselves would have to work for their food. And he says, said if, if the lilies, you ever thought of a lily worrying? That's kind of a, a weird thought. But if, 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 if lilies could worry, they themselves would go find a jacket or a shirt or, or something like that and close themselves. But they don't worry and God takes care of them. So as we enter into this argument of, of what Jesus is saying, as we come in the front end of what he's saying here, Jesus is making a statement about worry. And the type of, type of worry that he's talking about is, is the type of worry when it comes to provision. Because there's sometimes, uh, worry is, is sometimes okay. Sometimes there's certain types of worry that's okay. But, but the type of worry that he's talking about here is linked to materialism. Worrying about our our, our possessions and the things that, 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 that we need and, and try to cling on to that, that are material-based. From, from the front point of his argument, Jesus is making the point that the worry in these situations about our stuff, that, that the worry about these things is the issue of trying to rely too heavily on ourselves. Trying to, trying to rely for our provision, for our material items, too much on ourselves. And this is where his phrase kind of starts to, or the phrase we're looking at starts to break down. When we look at God helps those who helps themselves, we see the first, your first point this morning. If you're taking notes, you can follow along in your program. But the first point this morning is, is, is kind of uh, the, the big lie in this, this statement. And that lie is that self-help is the best help. When we're looking at God helps those who helps themselves, we see that Jesus is getting at the point that self-help, that, that there's a lie in the fact that self-help is the best help. But Jesus doesn't just 
leave it there. So he could have kind of started getting us at that, talking about these lilies and these birds and, and trying to make his point, but he doesn't just stop right there. He gives us the answer. I love how Jesus does that. He doesn't leave us guessing. He gets to the point, and then he shows us the way it's really supposed to be. If we look at his illustration again, verse 26, he's talking about the birds on the front end. Jesus is like, the birds don't have to take care of themselves, but God provides. The same with verses 28 and 29 when he's talking about the lilies. The same with the lilies. They are more beautiful than anything in this world. And they don't have to provide for themselves. God provides. Here's the picture that Jesus is painting. He's saying that we should not worry. He's commanding us, don't worry. He uses the phrase six times in this passage. He's saying, don't worry. God takes care of the grass. And he takes care of the lilies and he takes care of the birds. God will provide for you. God provides for us. So again, when we're looking at our phrase, if if you're following along and taking notes, your second point this morning, if we're looking at the fact that that there's a lie in the the idea that self-help is the best help, the truth is that God provides for our needs. That God provides for our needs. Now here's kind of from these two points, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, he's saying God will provide. You don't need to worry about your provision and your material things. God will provide and, 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 and give you what you need. Here's, here's not what he's saying. He's not saying you should wait around lazily and wait for God just to provide. He's saying that, that, but, that, that you should stop worrying as you take responsibility in the provision that God has given you. So there's a difference between just just chilling out, hanging out, waiting for God to provide and going and taking hold, taking responsibility for that provision that he's given you. So it's not a a lazy attitude. It's not just hanging out, waiting, but it's that condition of your heart saying, you know what, God provides for me and I'm going to take responsibility to see where that provision is. And when he provides, I'm going to acknowledge him for what he has provided. And when we do that, we can stop worrying about how he will provide. So to apply this just a little bit, to to push it into our hearts, Jesus tells us how to apply this truth. Again, that's what's what's so awesome about it. He doesn't leave us guessing. He doesn't leave us like, okay, what do I do? What do I do with this? How do I move beyond just reading these words? So so if we start looking at it again, look, look at verse 25. He gives us the command, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Continue to look through there. Verse 31, he says, so do not worry. 34, he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. In other words, Jesus is telling us, stop driving yourself crazy over the things that God will provide. Stop going nuts and worrying about the little things that God's going to take care of in your life. I love how practical Jesus gets sometimes. I think right here he's really practical. If we, if we were kind of around him back in those days, we would have understood his illustrations a little bit better and, 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 and what it means. But there's a way, in a way he's saying, he's kind of coming to us and he's saying, he's, he's asking us, how's that losing sleep at night? How's that working out for you? 
Those hours that you're staying up at night and you're worrying about things that, that you probably can't even really control and, and, and you're waking up in the morning and you're still stressed about them and they're, and they're, and they're controlling your thoughts and the, the things that are driving you nuts with worry. Jesus is saying, How, how's that going for you? How's that working out? But then he says, when he's talking about these birds and lilies, he says, you matter immensely to me. You matter so much to me. That worrying that you do, why are you worrying about it? Why are you losing sleep to the, to, at night over these things? Because you matter immensely to me. And then he's saying, do you trust me? The creator and sustainer of all things. The guy that, that put things, the, the, the God that put things into motion. Do you trust me? He's telling us to stop worrying. Stop losing sleep over the things that we don't need to lose sleep over. I love how Psalm 139 kind of gets at this. It talks about God's thoughts for us. It says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before any of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Jesus wants us to stop worrying because he'll provide. And he cares immensely for us. All we need to do is to trust him to, to provide where and how and, and what we need him to provide. And, and I think that when we start looking at this whole picture and we're looking at this phrase that's, that's just a little off from, from really what we need to be, be thinking, I think that trust is a big part of what he's getting at here. Really, he's talking about that trust and that faith that we have in him to provide for us. I think he, he opens up the idea for us a little more as, as he moves on in his sermon. If you read 31 again uh, with me, chapter 6, verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then... As he moves on, the, the whole verse, and you might even have this memorized, the whole, this whole passage hinges on verse 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom, and all the, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness. This is the, the main point of this whole passage. And, and when we're looking at this idea of God helps those who help themselves, perhaps this might be what we replace in, the, in, in, that, in, pl in place of that saying. And if you're taking notes this morning, point number three is that the big truth of all of this is that the key to God's provision is seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. So when we're talking about trust and we're saying Jesus cares immensely for us, so we shouldn't worry about our provision when we're looking at him providing for us. In a way, he's saying you seek what you trust. You go after what you trust. You, you'll spend your energy Trying to, trying to get something that you trust. You'll go after it because you trust it. And I think in this, he intentionally includes two aspects when he's talking about this. He includes his kingdom 
And he includes his righteousness. First of all, when we're looking at this idea that, that we're called to seek his kingdom, it does two things. When we're thinking about God's kingdom, sometimes that's a little bit hard to grasp. Like, what exactly is God's kingdom? Because we kind of think of maybe heaven is God's kingdom or, or that it's something out in the future or we don't really get it. But, but, but his kingdom is both here and in the future. His kingdom is working now and in the future. But, but when he's saying to seek his kingdom, it does two things. First, when we are citizens in his kingdom, it gives us a new rule to live by. When we become followers of Christ, we're in his kingdom, and it gives us a new rule to live by, a new kingdom economic. We see things from a different light. Let me explain it a little bit. The world tells us to seek self, right? So when, when, when we're part of the world, the world tells us to seek self. But Jesus, in his new economic, says Jesus tells us to seek selflessness because that's what he did. But secondly, it also calls us to participate. You see, to be a good citizen in a kingdom, you've got to do something. You can't just sit there and, and, and not be part of what's going on. So it calls us to be active and to part, participate. You see, when we trust Christ for everything, we are then drawn into making Christ our king known. So when we're part of his kingdom, Christ is our king. And when he calls us to follow him, part of that call to follow means that we're going to let other people know about our awesome king. So as part of the kingdom, it changes our heart from me to selflessness. And it drives us to participate in what God's doing. Our desire when we become part of the kingdom is to see the goodness of Jesus infiltrate all parts of our world and our lives. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom, to seek the kingdom. But then the second part, I love how he does, he includes both of these, because he could have stopped at the kingdom, but he goes on to righteousness. So, so kingdom talks about participating in what God is doing here and in the future. But then he moves to this idea of righteousness, and I, and I love what he's doing here. The goodness that we're trying to see infiltrate the world, that, that awesomeness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is found in this righteousness part. It's found in, in this seeking of righteousness. You see, to be a participant in Christ's kingdom, both on earth and in heaven, we must rely on his grace. A lot of what we're talking in, about in this statement of God helps those who help themselves, the, 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 the issue of that is we're talking about reliance. We're talking about who we rely on. And to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, we have to rely on God's grace. And maybe this is the biggest lie from God, the, the statement that God helps those who helps themselves. Scripture is clear that we cannot embrace or seek that righteousness on our own. Scripture doesn't bounce around that. We can't find that righteousness on our own. We cannot, in that saying, God helps those who help themselves, we cannot help ourselves on our own. But there is a huge but in this. There's a, a huge uh, but that we come to, and, and I read it all the time, but Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless. You hear that? We were powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, 
Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When it comes to our righteousness before God, there is no way that we will ever help ourselves. There's no way we can do it without him. We will never measure up. But Christ died to give us his righteousness. So when, when Jesus is telling us, he's saying, seek my kingdom and seek my righteousness. He's done that for us. He has done everything that we cannot do on our own. He has everything that we need. And we need to seek that righteousness. So again, to kind of apply this just a little bit. I kind of said this a few minutes ago, but you will seek what you truly trust. You will go after whatever you truly trust. And to kind of start this all off, to, to, to really get out what you're trusting, we must first seek the righteousness of Christ. Because we will never be righteous in, in His eyes without Him. We must start by seeking the righteousness of Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. To seek His righteousness. To say, I cannot help myself. I need Christ to do this for me. And that's the first step of following Christ. To, to trust Christ. To seek His righteousness is to trust Christ for your everything. Most importantly, your righteousness, your salvation. And I love how, how Romans 5 puts that. It doesn't matter how you walk in that door on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter. It, we were powerless on our own. It doesn't matter how you walk in that door, but Christ died for us. But also the, the other half of this final saying that he's making a point is that we need, uh, when, we're, when we're reading about this kingdom, we need to apply this passage by becoming active participants in what Christ is doing. That's what it means to seek his kingdom. Again, Jesus has introduced this new kingdom economic, this new idea that, that we're supposed to live by. You see, the, the new economic was started when Jesus gave everything for us. He didn't think about himself. The only guy that, that ever deserved not to, to pay the penalty of his sins died for us all of us who deserve to pay that penalty. And that example shows us that kingdom difference. The, the, the Christ's king kingdom. And it's radically different than what the world tells us. It's radically different than the way that, we're supposed, that we think we're supposed to live. You see, the world tells us that, that you want more. Well, you better go get it. Or the world tells us you want to live, you better live to the fullest. That's what the world tells us. But Jesus comes in in this new kingdom. He says, you want to get, you better give. You want to truly live, you need to die to yourself. You see, it's different than these sayings that we're going to look at, that, that, that these things are actually in Scripture. As we dive into this series, we're going to see these truths take hold and push into our hearts. You see, we'll, we'll seek the kingdom of God when through His grace 
We start ra radically living like Jesus. When instead of trying to get, we give. Instead of trying to live just for ourselves and live to the fullest, we start giving of our lives for others. We die to ourselves. And we're back to that idea of trust. You become this active participant that's engaging with the righteousness of Christ when you start living like Jesus lived and when you trust him for your well-being, not yourself. And you start living for others as he did. So as I conclude, I ask that everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes.